what are we saved from? Number one is what? Our sin. And when he saves us from our sin, Jesus saves us from the what? The guilt and the punishment that is due for our sins. Okay? He saves us from the guilt and the punishment that is due for our sins. But number two, Jesus saves us from the continual committing of sins. He removes the excuse of I can't help myself. In other words, when you come to Jesus Christ, now you have a choice because you are no longer a slave to sin. Now if you do it, it's because you chose to do it. It is not that he has not given you the power over it. God says, I gave you the power over it. You don't believe me. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Mm -hmm. Dead to sins means delivered out of its power and from up under its tyranny. Sin no longer has dominion over you. T tap yourself and say, self, sin no longer has dominion over me. That means if you do it, it's because you wanted to do it, not that you couldn't control yourself. Okay, all right. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Okay, all right. So number one, we are saved from our sins. Number two, what are we saved from? The wrath of God and what? And hell, all right. If you, are, if you know Jesus for yourself and you are saved, you say this out your mouth. I ain't going to hell. And say this out your mouth. God ain't mad at me anymore. All right? Romans 5 and 9 says, since we have been now justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Now, I know I'm going fast, but if you have not been here, go back and listen to the, uh, to the, to the podcast. Go back and listen to all the avenues that we got the word, because I've gone over all this over the last couple of weeks. I'm going quickly to kind of tie all this back up, all right? Um, number th what's the third thing we're saved from? Number one, we're saved from our sin. Number two, we're saved from wrath of God in hell. Number three, we're saved from? Our enemies, Psalm 7 and 1, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all that persecute me and deliver me. Psalms 18, verse number 1 through 3, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. All right? Um, now, your enemy is not your boss. Your enemy is not your cousin. Your enemy is not your ex-husband. Your enemy is not your baby daddy. That is not your enemy. Look at your neighbor with an attitude and say, that is not your enemy. It's not your enemy. Why? Because the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against wicked, spiritual wickedness in high places. We fight against a supernatural enemy who wrecks havoc in our lives. You got a devil to fight. Shut down trying to fight people and, and, and ramp up trying to fight the enemy because that's who's doing more damage in your life. It ain't the person who's getting on your nerves. You will always have people that's going to get on your nerves. As long as you're breathing in and out, you're going to have somebody that's going to work your nerves. That is not your enemy. But most times, all times, there is a spirit behind that thing that comes to either torment you, torture you, aggravate you, provoke you, and you got to deal with that enemy. Watch this, because sometimes the enemy comes to provoke you to get you together. Oh, do you know that sometimes that God will use people as an assignment on your life to get some stuff up out of you? 
God had to send certain people in your life to get that pride out of you. Uh-huh. Yes. That's why that boss was in your life, to kill your pride. Because no matter how big you thought you were, she always let you know you ain't that big. <laughs> oh, this is good teaching tonight. We are saved from what? Number one is what? Number two. Number three. Number four, this present evil age. This present evil age. Galatians 1 and 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God our, and our Father. That, that you are saved, watch this, when it talks about this present evil world, what it means is you are saved from the trappings of this world. You are saved from the trappings of this world. That's why Jesus prayed, deliver us from what? From evil. So that the power and the contamination of the world would not defile us so that sin can enter in. And number uh, five, we are saved from what? Death, permanent separation from the life of God. And how does he do that? He does that through propitiation. Y'all remember that word? Everybody say propitiation. What does that mean? You better know this. Appeasement or satisfaction. And it means what? That you what? That God is what? He ain't mad. His, his wrath has been satisfied, and we have been reconciled to him. The wrath and judgment of God was poured out upon Jesus, his perfect son, who did not deserve death or punishment. This righteous sacrifice was made sin for us so that we could gain, watch this, his righteousness. He took on our sin. We got his righteousness. My account was in the negative by millions. I said by millions. By me, Okay. You know, I, my account was in a negative. And there was no way that I was going to earn my way out. Ain't enough hokumashandas that's going to get me up out of that. Look at your neighbor and say, my account was in a negative. Yeah, my account. Y'all know what accounts in negatives look like. Y'all know what it, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Where it's red and it got them parentheses around it. Mm-hmm. To let you know that your account is in a negative. And what happens? You, the, what you, you know, let me, okay, all right. Mm -hmm. Um. If you real hood. <laughs> Brian, I'm going to talk to you because I know you don't do this. But see, what they used to do is when that count go to negative, instead of that direct positive keep going on, they'll go up to the HR because, you know, I used to work in HR. And they'll say, I don't want it to go to direct deposit no more. I want it in a check. Because if I get it in the check, then the bank can't take that negative. Because mm -hmm. they know with that check hit that account, then all the money that was owed will automatically be eaten up. Come on, somebody. Uh-huh. Yeah, I used to work in HR. I know how the game worked. Because your account was in the negative, and you didn't want to bring it up because it would take what it had. But when Jesus died on the cross, his righteousness was so great that it superseded what you were in the negative and went all the way into the positive and to the millions and trillions. Right. So then we talked about the process of salvation and we said that process of salvation is what past, present and what future. So, number one, we have been saved. OK, when a person believes in Jesus Christ, all his or her sins are forgiven. All of them. Somebody say all of them. 
When a person believes in Jesus Christ, all their sins are forgiven. 2 Timothy 1, verse number 9, he has saved us, past tense. He has saved us and called us into a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Before my mama and my daddy met each other, it was already written in the plan. That blessed me right there. Titus 3 and 5 says he saved us, past tense, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. We did not do anything to earn our salvation. You know, I, I feel sorry for some of these super deep saints now because now we walk around with this self-righteousness that will wear you out where you are trying to live up to something that you will never be able to achieve. I rest in the fact that the finished work of the cross did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And see, that's what makes it a reality. We did nothing to earn our salvation. It is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. Paul says, not by works. Okay? All right? It means that your salvation has nothing to do with your behavior, no matter how good or bad you are. Somebody need to say thank you, Jesus, right there. That no matter how good or bad you are. I know, uh, see, I, this bothers saints because we want a, we want a, uh, um, we want a, a list of do's and don'ts. And so if you give me a list of do's and don'ts, then I can check off, well, I don't do this, do this, and do this, and do this, so I'm all right. But the reality is if you don't do this and this and this, somewhere on that list, we're going to find you. Look at your neighbor and say, you somewhere on the list. Yeah, yeah, you somewhere on the list. You might not be doing that, but you're doing that. Come on. You might not be doing that, but you're doing that. And that's why. Why? Because the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So you ain't got time to put your nose up on anybody else's story or whatever anybody else is doing. You have no clue because the, the Bible says that no matter how righteous you think you are, the Bible says there's nothing but filthy rags in my sight. Yo, on your best day, you steal nothing but filthy rags. But thank be unto God that my salvation it cannot be disconnected because I had a bad day. I am so grateful that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And is there anybody in here that can give God glory that when you look at your life and the stuff you have done, God covered you in the midst of what you've done. All right. Ephesians 2 and 8 uh, and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is through the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I can't boast about my salvation because I ain't do nothing good enough to earn it or to deserve it. 1 John 2 and 12, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Okay? And that word forgiven is in the perfect participle uh, uh, tense. Perfect participle referring to something that has occurred in the past and is continuing into the present. That you have been forgiven. If, for example, having finished his homework, he went and watched TV. In other words, when he went to watch TV, the homework was still done. So if I've been forgiven, what it means is, while well, I'm still living my life, and if I mess up, I'm still forgiven. Do y'all see that? I need y'all to get that. The work has already been completed, and the job is already done. Christ already completed the work to secure my salvation, and it still stands today. 
That's why he said, I'm the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. He still, it still stands today. This means that all of the past and present sins have been paid. They have been forgiven. They will never be remembered again. Okay? And we are being saved in the present. So past, we've been saved. We are being saved. Salvation is the process that refers to two great promises of God. Number one is sanctification. And number two is perseverance. Now, tonight I'm going to talk about sanctification. Sanctification is the process that is ongoing in the lives of the believers. The Holy Spirit indwells us at the moment of salvation and begins to affect change in our lives so that we become more and more conformed to the image of holiness modeled in Christ. Sanctification means he works on you till you start to talk like him and walk like him and act like him treat people like he would have treated people, okay? As we allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us, we grow in grace. This present reality of salvation also promises perseverance so we can have full confidence that we will continue as believers to the end. We do not need to worry about losing the salvation which God granted to us for he continues to grant it to us on a continual basis. Salvation then, in its present reality, allows us to slowly but continually be free from the power of sin. Can I, can I just dig this out for a minute? Because I know a lot of saints, like me, who was raised on a Pentecostal holiness uh, background, with this losing salvation thing messes you up. Let me kind of dig this out a, a little bit further. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ is efficacious. Okay? It means it's powerful. Watch this. What would that mean if you could lose your salvation? That means his blood ain't powerful enough to keep you. I need you to think just for a minute. That means that you can do something that can disconnect his, his power. Now, is he all powerful or is he not powerful? Because if he's all powerful, then there's nothing that I can do that can disconnect me from him. What can separate me from the love of God? Do y'all see that? And I know that messes with some of y'all because you want a merit-based salvation. Look at somebody say, I don't want a merit-based salvation. God help me. Because if I have a merit-based salvation, I'm going to miss it every single time. I, listen, today I done messed up. Is that, Okay. In the last hour, I done messed up. Okay. I looked at somebody wrong when I came in here. I done messed up. But thanks be unto God that he doesn't give, he doesn't save me based upon my merits, but, but it's based upon faith that is given in grace. And I give God glory that I'm saved not because of my works. Salvation, okay? And salvation also, past, present, future, we shall be saved. Future. Acts 2.21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God does not wait for you to do anything. He does it all before you know anything about it. That's why Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He does not wait to see who will call out, uh, believe, or persevere. He knows already because he has called them by name. We are his elect. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse number 50 through 54. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will rise, be, be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. In other words, the pains and hurts that I got right now, I ain't going to have it one day. The stuff I experienced in the flesh, I ain't going to experience that always. 
that when I when the trumpet sounds and if I and if, if I'm asleep, I'm gonna get up. And when I get up, I put on imperishable. Come on, I put on I put on I put on immortality. And when the imperishable puts on imperishable, and the mortals put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written: Death is swallowed up in victory. It is our bodies which will undergo a great transformation of the future. That's why we shall be saved. All right, and that is called what glorification glorification where our bodies will be freed from sin's corruption so let's move forward why did jesus have to die why did jesus have to die what's the first reason in order to pay the wages of sin that we have earned okay first peter 2 24 he himself bore our sins in the body in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed Christ redeemed us. What does redeem mean? What does redeem mean? Brought back, brought us with a price. What did he redeem us from? Mm -mm. What did he redeem us from? Thank you, the curse of the law. What did he redeem us from? The curse of the law. What did he redeem us from? The curse of the law. What did he redeem us from? The curse of the law. You know why I'm doing this? Because the last time I asked y'all that, y'all did the exact same thing. Okay? Y'all did the exact same thing. What did he redeem us from? He redeemed us from the curse of the law. Why was the law cursed? You have to do what? The whole law. You have to keep the whole law in order to be justified. So that means if you miss one, you miss them all. Jesus, when Jesus paid the wages of our sin through his death, it means that Jesus rescued us from the consequences of our transgressions. He saved us from the punishment which our sins deserve. All right? So that is the first reason why he had to die. What's the second reason why he had to die? In order for the new covenant to take effect. Okay, what is the new covenant? Thank you for, yeah, that's the final place. <laughs> but why did, what, what is the new covenant? What is the new covenant? We're no longer in the law, but we are under grace. Okay, the new covenant is the promise that God makes with humanity that he will that he will what? Forgive sin and restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned toward him. All right? All right? So um, he had to, he dealt with the law because he kept the law. Jesus kept the law to the T. He was sinless. He did not sin. All right? The law required that Israel perform daily sacrifices in order for there to be atonement for the sin. So who becomes our atonement? Jesus, he becomes the what? The sacrificial lamb, all right? Jesus dies once and for all so that we are no longer under the law, but we are under what? Grace. Sin and guilt has to be atoned for. There must be a reparation for wrong or injury. Jesus becomes our mediator between God to and us to atone for our sins, and the death becomes the necessary path to make our new covenant valid, all right? All uh, right. God's covenants have always been sanctioned and ratified with what? With what? With blood. Okay? All right? But before Jesus, what would they sacrifice? 
animals, all right? And, and because of, uh, they would be only cleansed from what? Ceremonial defilement, okay? But the blood cleanses us, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from actual sin. Y'all got that? All right, everybody say, thank God for the blood. All right, the third reason why Jesus had to die was what? That we might receive the adoption of sons, all right? And Paul uses a metaphor uh, in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, of, of describing us as being adopted into God's family. So what was so important about being adoption? What was so important during that time? What is so important? It was permanent. You become heirs, okay? All right? You have rights to what? An inheritance, and it becomes permanent. Just You have rights to, uh, 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 to the inheritance as if you are just like a biological child, okay? Jesus alone is the son of God from what? From birth. He's the only one. But he consents to share his kinship and inheritance with us. He made uh, my sin, made me a child of the devil. But my salvation makes me a son of God. Y'all got that? Okay. And Jesus shares with us in his inheritance. Romans 8, 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. All right. Um, so what does that mean? I have a right to what now? Come on, joy. What else? Peace. What else? Prosperity. Come on. What else? She is not the only one that was sitting up under this teaching. Don't say another one. Y'all sat up under this teaching. You need to know it. What do you have a right to? She said joy. She said peace. She said prosperity. What else? Huh? Mm-mm-mm. As an heir, what do you have a right to? Joy, peace, prosperity. What else? Grace. Thanks be unto God. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. They was dying on the vine up here. Number four, why did Jesus have to die? That he might deliver us from this present world system. Number five, why did he have to die? Okay, so then we went on the next week. We started talking about what was the death of Jesus Christ for us. And the first thing that we laid out was it is what? Redemption. Everybody say redemption. All right. And I gave you three definitions for redemption. The first one was what? You better try to say it. <laughs> she left out that whole Z. <laughs> what does that first definition mean? To buy or pay a price for something. It is to pay the price which our sin demanded so that we could be redeemed. The next definition for redemption is what? I don't need y'all to say the word. I just need you to give me the definition. Give me the definition. To purchase out of the market. What does that mean? 
Say that again, Jennifer. Sin no longer becomes my master. Why? Because Christ purchases me. So you have to think just like in African-American historical terms. The slaves would stand on the stage. The master would come along and want to purchase. Come on, Juneteenth. Ain't today Juneteenth? Um, would want to purchase the slave. Okay? Then when he purchased the slave, the slave, uh, the, 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 the African who is now in America would then become a slave to the master. And whatever the master tells the slave to do, the slave had an obligation to do it because the master paid a price for it. When Jesus Christ redeems us, he buys us off the marketplace. Now what happens is Jesus comes along, purchases us through his blood, and now we are no longer a slave to sin, but now we are free in Jesus Christ. Yeah, Everybody got that? Okay. And the third definition of redemption was to mean what? To loose or to set free. It's to be re uh, released and set free in the fullest sense on receipt of a ransom. It means that we have been freed from the past, from the bondage to our old master, the devil, and from the old patterns of sinful behavior. Okay? Everybody say, I've been set free. All right? So that's redemption. Then we went on to the second term, which was what? Propitiation. Propitiation. Now, I know that I gave you two definitions. This is the definition I want. What is the literal definition of propitiation? Mercy seat or covering. Where does that come from? That's the second definition. Where does mercy seat or covering come from? I gave you an imagery. The what? Somebody said it. The Ark of the Covenant. What's on the Ark of the Covenant? Two cherubims facing each other. All right? The middle part is called what? The mercy seat. What would happen? They would sprinkle the blood. And when they sprinkled the blood, okay, what did it mean? It was the what? Y'all all saying it. Satisfy God, appeasement, okay, all right? When God saw the blood, he could extend what instead of what? Not wrath, judgment, okay? He would extend mercy instead of judgment. His justice was satisfied because when the mercy seat was in place, God, uh, God did not see the table of the law. He saw the sprinkled blood. Are y'all with me? Okay, so to propitiate means to what? Second definition, to appease or to satisfy God. Why does God need to be appeased? He is angry. She had to answer a little while back, all right? He is angry. Why is he angry with mankind? Because of their sin, okay? Uh, uh, Psalm, I'm sorry, Romans 3, 
23 through 26, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. This is New Living Translation. Verse number 24, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and included them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just and makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus Christ. God turned aside his wrath and enabled him to receive into his family those who place his faith in the, ones, in the one who satisfied him. The barrier which sin had built between God and man is now broken down. All right. So number one, uh, why did, uh, what, what was the benefit of salvation? Number one was what? Redemption. Number two, propitiation. Here's number three. What is it? Reconciliation. Reconciliation means bringing together those who are opposed to each other. Reconcile means to change from enmity to friendship. Everybody say, I am a friend of God. He ain't trying to strike you down. You done did a lot of sin. You been struck by lightning yet? Somebody said, not yet. Well, you wait on it. I ain't waiting on it. <laughs> I ain't waiting on it. Okay. All right. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 21. That was God reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So how are we reconciled? How are we reconciled? Forgiveness is given. Justified by faith. Grace is extended. Y'all got that? All right. How are we reconciled? Forgiveness is given. Justified by faith. Grace is extended. All right. Reconciliation means that God is not our enemy. He is not waiting to be hostile toward us. He is our friend. Okay. And he wants us to trust that friendship. He wants us to trust that friendship. I know that we are not a very trusting people. Because you've been done wrong by so many different people. And then we take that same mindset towards God. But God ain't going to treat you like those other people treated you. Okay? He will never turn away from you. Because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. All right? Number four, it was a what? Substitution. What does that mean? In place of. Who took our place? Okay? It means that Christ, that it means that something happened to Christ. And because it happened to Christ, it need not happen to us. I don't have to whip myself and beat myself and become a masochist to prove to God that I'm sorry for what I've done. He was wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had, no, who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Why was he the perfect substitute? Three reasons. Number one, he was what? He was man. Number two, he was what? Sinless. And number three infinite God. He's the only what? 200% person. 
that ever walked the face of this earth. 100% and 100% all at the same time. Okay? And so what are the benefits of salvation? Number one is what? Justification. Everybody say justification. What does justification mean? Pronounce just and treat it as righteous. Does that mean you didn't do it? No. Okay? Just what? Just if I just as if I had never sinned. Okay? It is the act of God not only forgiving the believer's sins, but imputing to him the righteousness of Christ. It is when God judiciously declares a believing sinner to be righteous and acceptable before him because Christ has bore the sinner's sin on the cross and it becomes to us righteousness. Okay? So what is the concept of justification? The concept does not mean to make righteous. It means to what? Announce or pronounce righteous. We, we mess that up all the time. Because we think that justification means it made you righteousness. No, you guilty. Your hand was caught in the cookie jar. You got crumbs all around your mouth right now. Look at your neighbor and say, you guilty. You guilty. Yes, you are. You guilty. Yes, you are. You guilty. You wrong. Yes, we are. Yes. Mm-hmm. You got the picture at home. Oh, y'all want me to go there? Send your cell phone right now. Come here, iPhone users. Because it tell you exactly where you were and what time of day. Mm-hmm. Take me back. Take me back to the Lord. To the place where I first. Okay, I'm going to leave that right there. Okay, um, it is a courtroom concept so that to justify is to give a verdict of righteousness. Okay, the contrast to justification is condemnation. Because when a person commits a crime, either they are sent to jail or they're set free. When a person commits a crime, they are condemned and they are punished. Why do we need to be justified? Because everyone was born condemned. All have sinned. All born into sin. And we commit actual transgressions. We need justification because we were condemned to die. We were condemned to go to hell and we were condemned to be separated from God permanently. What I love about that is, is that we focus on the fact of that we were condemned to go to hell. But what you need to focus on is you were condemned to be separated from God permanently. Separation from God permanently is hell. Being separated from God is hell. I'm so grateful to God that because I know Jesus Christ, that he hears every word that I say. That he is not far off. He's not some distant God. He's not some God, watch this, because we got to learn this in the church, especially the black church, that want to sing a song for 17 minutes because you think you can conjure him up. He's a present. He's present. He's, he's here. He's already there. He's here. He, I said he's here. We ain't got to tarry at the altar and call on Jesus for 35 minutes and for, him, for him to show up. He's already here. Do y'all get that? He's not far off. And because we have this mindset that he must be far off somewhere, then I got to conjure him up. Listen, get out your Ouija board. He still ain't going to listen. He already there. Seance if you want to. Get all the, 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 the sage and do all that foolishness if you want to. He is already here. He's in your room right now. He's sitting at your job right now. 
lights turned off at the job, but he right there because he's everywhere at the same time. That's why I give God glory, because I might not know where my sister is, and I might not know where my brother is, and I might not know where my mother is, but I thanks be unto God that I got a God that's already there. I ain't got to conjure him up. That's why I say I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. You already got it, because he's already there. I ain't got to wait to feel him. That's the problem with the saints. We want to feel everything. Oh, y'all don't believe me? Y'all don't believe me. I got a feeling everything going to be all right. Honey, if you're waiting for a feeling for it to be all right, you're going to be a sad person the rest of your life. You still ain't with me? I don't feel no ways tied. We want to feel everything in church. And this is why we can't keep no faith, because faith is not feeling. Faith is a knowing. That even when I don't feel him, I know he's still right there. God help me. Is there anybody here that's so grateful that my feelings don't have to predicate where God is? He is right there with me. And even if I don't feel goose pimples and I didn't run around the church and I didn't fall out, he is still right there. I need you to take just five seconds and give him praise because you got a present God that's right there with you wherever you are. He's in the car with you while you're driving down the street. He right there. He ain't going nowhere. So the process of justification is what? Through grace. It is through grace. The basis of justification is the death of Jesus Christ. All right? Second, uh, uh, we've read that already. Um, in other words, um, no, I need to read it again. Second Corinthians 5, 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In other words, he did not allow my sins to interfere with his grace. That's how powerful that is. He did not allow my sins to interfere with his grace. Ooh. Justification saves us from the wrath of God. I was an object of God's wrath. My unholy was against God's holiness. My unrighteousness was against his righteousness. And Jesus died on the cross to keep away that wrath from me. Truth of the matter is I should have been cut off a long time ago. Look at your neighbor say, neighbor, you should have been cut off. Long time ago. Mm -hmm. I should have been cut off long time ago. He should have took the breath out of my body long time ago. They should have said ashes to ashes and dust to dust long time ago. But thanks be unto God, his grace covered me. When God justifies, he charges the sin of man to Christ. He took my sins and he put it on Jesus Christ. I got something in return. What did I get in return? He took my nastiness and he gave me Jesus' righteousness. It was, now I gave you this word. What was the word that I gave you? What is it? Imputed. Imputed righteousness. All right? I gave you that word. All right? Um, so let me read Second uh, Corinthians 5, 21. For our, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. In the Living Bible, it says, For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's right goodness into us. See, don't think that you got this mind to serve him and praise him on your own. Mm -mm. 
Where did I get the mind to pray? Where did I get the mind to stay out the club? Where did I get the mind to put the drink down? Where did I get the mind to live holy? It is the goodness, it is the righteousness of God that he gave me from Jesus Christ. He took my desire to sin and he gave me a desire for righteousness. And even when I want to sin, the goodness of God takes a stand against it. That's why I got this war going on the inside of me. Yeah, You ever had a battle with yourself? See, I, I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced you ain't a real saint until you have been left in tears battling with your own self. Till you have been crying your eyes out, f- trying to fight yourself. Ooh, I got a good one right there, but I'm going to leave it alone. In tears, fighting yourself from calling them back. Because God told you that wasn't for you anyway. And you battled with it. And you picked up the phone 17,000 times to see if they called you or put a message on your page. I'm talking. And you had to battle with that thing. Because on one side, you got God saying, don't you do it. Let it go. I cut you loose. Don't go back to it. And on the other side, you got your flesh. Go ahead. You know, you don't know when. You know, you don't put all this into it. All this time, you don't put into it. You don't put all this time. You know, don't don't give up on that. You don't know when another one coming along. And God said, Mm-mm, "Don't you do that." I delivered you from hell. I delivered you from destruction. I delivered you from a fool, and you can't even see it. And you got that battle going on the inside of you, and you weeping and you cry. Am I talking to anybody that know what I'm talking about? You got that battle going inside of you. It's a battle. I said it's a battle. It's a battle. Because when it ain't a battle, that means you just lay down to it. It means that sin has dominion over you. But when you got the Holy Ghost on the inside of you, there's something on the inside of you that's going to make you fight it. You won't be comfortable in it. I'm not there yet. Number two, first, number one is what? Justification. Number two is what? Regeneration. Everybody say regeneration. What does that mean? Born again, rebirth. Rebirth is dis, uh, distinguished from first birth. Uh, when we were conceived physically, uh, we inherited what? Our sin nature. But the new birth is a spiritual, holy, and heavenly birth that results in our being being, being made li- alive uh, spiritually. Man is in his natural state is dead in trespasses and sins until he is made alive. Regeneration. Regenerated. You get some new genes. Mm-hmm. When you, uh, without salvation, you got your mama and daddy's genes. Somebody say, help me, Jesus. <laughs> See, let me, let me break something down. Let me break something down for you. I know we also always talking about um, um, uh, generational curses, and we love to be spiritual. A lot of times, it's not necessarily a generational curse. It's just in your genes. Jesus is in your heart, but your daddy is in your bones. And you have to fight against what comes natural to you. Let me just be real. I am in a season right now where it is bothering me as a pastor when my members have a ghetto mentality. This too honest for you? It is bothering me as a pastor. What do I mean by ghetto mentality? I'm not talking about, talking about where you dress or where you talk. I'm not talking about that because I'm as country as they can be and as ghetto as I want to be sometimes. It is a mentality. You ain't have to say yes, Lord, like that now. <laughs> I got it. I got it. I'm, 
I'm messing with you. When I mean a ghetto mentality, I mean the ways of the hood is still in you to the place that you are reciprocating what you've always lived. So because you have always lived broke, now you are grown making more money and still got a mindset of broke. So no matter how much money you get, you always find yourself right back to broke. And while you want to over-spiritualize it by saying it's a generational curse, no, you ju that's just in your genes, honey. There's something on the inside of you that was passed down from your mommy and your daddy. And regeneration fights against what is in your bloodline. It fights against it. Mm -hmm. And God is saying, I need you to be regenerated. Watch this. 1 Peter 1, verse number 22 through 23. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Regeneration means a radical change. It means all of a sudden you look up and you start wondering, why well, I don't look like none of them people I'm related to? I don't, what? I ain't, I ain't trying to make you sound so muchy-muchy and so sadiddy, but, um, but have you ever gotten to a place where something you came out of, you look back at it now and be like, Let's be real. I know you love your mom. I know you love your daddy. I know you love all them, grandmom and all them. But there was a level of dysfunction that God had to rescue you out of. Ooh, can I talk to some real people right there? And before you think I'm talking about unsaved people, some of us came out of saved homes that was dysfunctional. And God has to regenerate you. He has to really change your DNA so that you don't carry the same stuff you used to carry before. It's a radical change. Everybody say radical change. We need regeneration because when we are born again, we begin to see and hear and seek after divine things. We begin to live a life of faith and holiness. You can't believe spiritual things until you are spiritually born again. That's why you can't talk faith with everybody. They can't see in the spirit what you see in the spirit. Sometimes you're talking up here, and they don't know what, huh? It sounds like Chinese to them because they see your situation but they don't know your revelation. That was good right there for me. Because sometimes you, you, you get tired of talking out of your situation and you just want to talk out your revelation. But unspiritual people are not going to understand the revelation. All they're going to see is situation. So you see my broke down car. You see my messed up house. You see the relationship I just got out of. You saw me crying on the altar. That was my situation. But my revelation is after a while, God going to bring this thing together. And I'm believing for greater that he can do exceedingly and abundantly above all I can ask or think. Give your neighbor a high five and tell him, speak out of your revelation. Come on, stop speaking your situation. But speak what God getting ready to do in your life generation it's necessary because the sinful flesh cannot stand in God's presence you must be born again that's why Jesus told Nicodemus that you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God regeneration is a part of and so how does regeneration happen I talked about this very briefly I talked about number one sealing y'all remember this Holy Spirit seals you Ephesians 1 verse number 13 through 14 and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is a depositor and guaranteeing our inheritance until redemption of those who are in God, who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It's a guarantee. It's a pledge. You are sealed until the day of redemption. Okay? It means the Spirit seals you at the time of believing so that the Holy Spirit delivers us from death and leads us to the gift of eternal life. This is also another reason why I, I will say, once saved, always saved. Because when you've been sealed, you are kept until the day of redemption. You get that? Okay? We just read the scripture of that. We also talked about uh, um, another aspect of redemption is after the sealing is adoption, which we've already talked about, and reconciliation. Okay? Tonight. <laughs> Everybody say sanctification. I'm going to do this real quick. The basic meaning of the verb sanctification is to separate. That's what it means, to separate, to set apart. Sanctification is the process that you undergo that God sets you apart. It means you ain't supposed to fit in like everybody else. You ain't supposed to do what everybody else do. You have been set apart. Sanctification is the sovereign act of God whereby he sets apart a person, a place, or an object for himself in order that he might accomplish his purpose in the world by means of that person, place, or object. It means he wants to use you. And because he wants to use you, he has to set you apart. This is why you've never fit in. Because he was sanctifying you. He was setting you apart. You are trying to be a round peg in a square hole, and it never works for you because he sanctified you. I'm going to talk about me. So I remember my clubbing days where I was out in the club. And while I'm out in the club, they fighting, and <laughs> I go to praying. <laughs> Who does that? I mean, it was the craziest stuff. In my, in, when I was out there, it was crazy. Because when you are sanctified, no matter how much you try to fit in, you will always stick out. There's people I used to run with way back in the day that when they know I'm a pastor, they're not surprised. How are you not surprised? Because I'm doing the same stuff you was doing. And one of them said to, said to me, because it was always something about you. I mean, I cussed like them. I knew how to put it together. I drank like them. I sex like them. I did all the stuff just like them. But even while I was trying to fit in, there was something still. There was a mark on me. That no matter how much I tried to fit in, I still couldn't. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with sanctification that saints need to understand. I'm telling you, I can live this. I've lived this. Watch this. You have to understand that even when you've been set apart, just because you come to church don't mean you still going to fit in. Stop thinking that because we all serve the same God that we all got the same mind and we all going to act the same way. Even in church, you still going to stand out. That was a hard lesson for me to learn. I'm just going to be real with you. Been pastoring come uh, Sunday, nine years this church. God is blessed. Started with five people. The Lord blessed us. And God has added to our numbers. I, we've done amazing things. And while 
other pastors in this city know who I am and know about this church, they want nothing to do with me. That thing bothered me for years. Ask Winchell. It bothered me for years. Because I was like, doing better than some of y'all. What is going on? I'll never forget this person, this pastor. He's not pastoring anymore. He had to, he shut down his church. I'm not saying this in shade. I need you to understand what I'm saying. I went to him one time and I said, you know, I noticed that, you know, all our friends, you've had them preach at your church, but you never had me. And he said, well, that's right. What's wrong with me? And you know how they give you an answer, but don't give you an answer. there and the Lord said to me he said don't you ever ask another person to let you preach how dare you discount the anointing on your life that you gotta ask somebody for you to do what I've called you to do that thing messed me up Beverly and so it always bothered me because I was like why I never fit in you know I ain't from Jacksonville I ain't you know I ain't grow up here that's you know strike one in this city, as a pastor, that's strike one, believe it or not. I ain't married, that's strike two. Even though folks cheating on their wives left and right, but you know. It's, can, can I just be honest with y'all? I just want to be real. This is the thoughts that I had in my head. That's strike two. I ain't got no cheering. That's strike three. And I just don't fit the mold. And it's, I struggled with this for years because standing out ain't always fun. Being different and going against the grain ain't always easy because sometimes you just want somebody to understand you. I'm talking to people that's, that's sanctified right here. Watch this. When, when, when it comes to sanctification, sanctification, justification is once and for all. Sanctification is for a lifestyle, lifetime. It's forever. You are going to be sanctified for the rest of your life. It is a process you undergo every single day of your life. Always standing out. Always being set apart. Always being different. Watch this. This is why people are giving up on God and walking away. Because they can't understand how is it that you can be stay, saved and still have some of the things you are wrestling with. And what they miss is salvation took care of my eternity, but sanctification is taking care of my every day. That is the difference between the two. My salvation ain't went nowhere just because I fell. It is my sanctification that is called into question when I fall. Because the question becomes, am I living my life in a way where I'm set apart, or am I just trying to get along to get along? God is requiring us to be sanctified. That's why when you're not sure of that, you try to get saved every Sunday. It's not that you're not saved. It's that you're not sanctified. So you're still doing the same stuff that you've been doing. It's because you're not sanctified. Look at your neighbor and say, I need to be sanctified. 
And when you are not sanctified, watch this, you will start to live, here, pastor, you will start to live a double life. When you do not undergo the process of sanctification, you live a double life. So we, we know you as one person here, but when we see you out in the street, we almost don't even recognize you because that other you is what's at operation. Anybody know? Okay, anyway. Sanctification means I don't have to come to church and fake it. That's what sanctification means. I don't have to come to church and fake it. I am in the sanctification process. God is working some stuff out um, that got stuck on me. Go to 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 11. Corinthians 6 verse number 11 so salvation took care of my eternity my sanctification is taking care of everything today 1 Corinthians 6 verse number 11 1 Corinthians 6 verse number 11 It reads, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Sanctification, write this down, sanctification is my scrubbing from the Lord. Sanctification is my scrubbing from the Lord. He got to scrub some stuff up off you. You got saved, but you got baggage. <laughs> and it's going to take the word of God to scrub some stuff off you, to clean you up. Come on, let's be real. We need a scrubbing. I need that anger off off me. I need that pride to be scrubbed off. I need that lust to be scrubbed off. I need that ego to be scrubbed off. I need that negative mindset to be, I need that defeated attitude. I need to be scrubbed. We need to be scrubbed. So I'm scrubbed so that after a while I can look at it and say, I used to like that. I used to prefer that, but look what the Lord has done. And even if the scrubbing process takes a long time, I just got to follow the process. Here's where we miss it in church. Your scrubbing process does not necessarily happen in church on Sunday morning. I hate to bust your bubble. I love it too. I love worship. I love praise. I love a good altar call. I love when folks lean in the spirit. I love when they fall out. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm from the church. I'm from the church. I love, I love all the antics of church. I love it. I love it. I love it all. But the reality is your sanctification process don't always happen, for the most part, on the altar. It begins it but you got to go walk that thing out. Sanctification process, I come to the altar because I got an anger issue. And then I, and I feel the presence of God. I feel he's near. I feel he's working on me. I feel, some, I feel the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. I feel it. And I leave here. And then I run into Monday morning traffic. And now the sanctification process is on. Not on the altar, in traffic. 
not on the altar um, um, when that coworker keeps coming to you and you done told him how to do it seven times already. That's your sanctification process. Not just on the altar. Mm -hmm. Sanctification process kicks in when you're at home and you're on your internet. Going to sites you ain't supposed to go to. That's sanctification. The ability to tell yourself no. That's heavy right there. Sanctification means sin can no longer enslave us if we realize that we are not controlled by the Holy Spirit. He will increasingly free us from old habits and old patterns. He will give us strength to say no to the temptation as we yield to his control. So when I'm in the mall and I know I got bills and I know I ain't paid my tithes, the sanctification process kicks in and say, no, let me leave from here right now. That's the sanctification process. Not all this other stuff. Not the antics of church. That's the sanctification process. Okay. Right. <laughs> That's the truth, too. Because if you're like me, you start adding stuff to the cart, and then you go back to it, and you're like, well, do I really need this? And then here's what you do. You talk yourself into it. Well, look how much it's on sale. And free shipping. Okay. Right. So let me talk about the three, three phases of sanctification. Number one, write this down, positional sanctification. Positional sanctification. Positional sanctification. Positional sanctification means that by the act of God, the Holy Spirit, in which he sets apart every saved person, it is the first step in the experience of the believer. I sure will. Hold on. I'm trying to make sure. Did I read that scripture already? Yes, I did. Okay. All right. It is the uh, it's positional sanctification means the act of God by the Holy Spirit in which he sets apart every saved person. just read it, 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 11, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, the setting apart of the, believer, of the believing sinner as God's possession and for his purpose is associated with the Holy Spirit entering the body at regeneration. So when you talk about when did I receive the Holy Ghost, when you believe you are sanctified, and that's when the Holy Spirit comes. Y'all get that? Because the only way he can set you apart is he got to be in you. you. Do you get that? Okay. All right. I know that we come from different backgrounds that say that you got to get the Holy Ghost after you get saved. Okay. There's a difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. You are indwelled at the time that you receive salvation. You get that? Okay. You are, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit because the only way he can save you is the Holy Spirit got to be there. Okay, y'all got that? That's what happens during sanctification, positionally, okay? Positionally, the unsaved man is spiritually dead, alienated from the life of God, 
um, and the answer, how does one receive this life? He says, I've come that they might have life and have it what? More abundantly. So how do you receive that life? The answer is when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we are saved, we are partakers of the divine nature. Let me prove it to you. Go to 2 Peter verse no, uh, chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 4. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 4. indwelled with the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation, but you are filled with the Holy Spirit many times over. It's like your gas tank. If you fill up your gas tank right now and you keep driving and driving and driving, and what happens? That after a while, it's going to be on what? It's going to be on E, and it what? Needs to be filled up all over again. Okay? But it does not cease being a gas tank. Y'all with me now? You get it? Okay? So you have to be filled up all over again does not mean just because you got low that your salvation is gone either. Still, the gas tank's still there. It's just you got to be filled up all over again. That's why I can't understand why we come to church and want to be just sit back. Because after all the hell you go through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes Sunday, you want to come into the house of God and get filled up with his presence so that when you leave, you ain't on E, you on F. So you can be full of the Holy Spirit. All right? Second Peter one, verse number four, though uh, through the, these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God, the Holy Spirit, enters the body to take up his permanent residence, his permanent abode. He lives on the inside of you. He lives on the inside of you. That scared me one day when I was a youth. My youth pastor told me something that messed me up. And when I became a youth pastor, I told him the same thing. And I'm going to tell you the same thing. The Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means whatever you do with your body, the Holy Spirit is there. told my youth pastor, I said, that's just nasty. <laughs> and you know what he told me? Flee fornication then. <laughs> Go to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. We're talking about positional sanctification. John 14, verse number 16 through, 19, uh, 16 through 17. John 14, verse number 16 through 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. That word advocate is another name for the Holy Spirit. Okay? So when you talk about the Holy Spirit, you're also talking, he's an advocate. Okay? To help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it, is, it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and we will be in you. Do you see that? Okay? So this positional sanctification means that the Holy Spirit resides in you and sets you apart positionally. Okay? Positionally. Alright? The child of God, the Holy Spirit is in you. He has set you apart for a definite 
purpose, and that purpose is God's perfect will for your life, all right? Um, go over to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 30 through 31. First Corinthians 1, verse number 30 through 31. This New King James Version says, But out of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is, um, that as it is written, he who glorifies, let him glorify in the Lord. This, this positional sanctification is an absolute perfect and objective thing. Positional sanctification takes place instantaneously at salvation irrespective of how little it may or may not immediately show up in our lives. So the Holy Spirit takes residence, but that don't mean at that moment you're perfect. Because how many know the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you still can lie? Okay. Okay, that is positional sanctification. Here's number two, progressive sanctification. I am being sanctified progressive sanctification. Thank God for positional sanctification, that's easy. I got that at, at salvation. But this progressive sanctification, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Pro, uh, progressive sanctification takes a lifetime to complete. Go to 2 Corinthians 3, verse number 18. Second Corinthians 3, verse number 18. Corinthians 3, verse number 18, it says, But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being, are being transformed. Somebody say being transformed. Into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Being transformed. That means it is a daily spiritual renewal. The Apostle Paul himself was being sanctified, watch this, even as he was ministering to others. So as you are being used by God, you are still being sanctified. It is a daily process. Go back over to 1 Peter, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse number 15 through 16. Progressive sanctification something that happens every single day you got to work out your own soul salvation you got to work out sanctification first peter 1 verse number 15 through 16 i'm from the holiness church and they love this scripture right here we would hear this often here we go but just as he who called you is holy so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Watch this. God's requirement is not that you just got saved. Now he wants you to be holy. He wants you to go through the sanctification. He wants you to turn down sin. 
He says, I'm holy. I'm set apart. I need you to be holy. I need you to be set apart. Now, this is a concept that saints don't like because, you know, we say, be patient with me. God's still working on me. Well, here's the question. Is he working on you that you're changing, or is he working on you and use it as an excuse? Because at some point, God is going to call into question, are you really working towards being sanctified? Or are you just using this as an excuse? You know, I'm a weak, I'm weak, I'm a weak man, God. I'm just weak, you know, I'm weak. I'm weak, God, you know, I'm weak. I mean, I'm just a man, you know. I've been to the gym, so I got to, my eyes just got to. felt the conviction fall right there. Uh-huh, man. You thought you was going to get off on that one. Yeah, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And we say, we weak. And God is saying, well, when you are weak, that's when I'll be strong for you. So that you can get your eyes sanctified. I need every man to lift your hands and say, Lord, sanctify my eyes. Davin, you didn't do it. Do it right now. In Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he says, be holy for I am holy. That is the standard that God is calling for his people. Holiness is the standard. Holiness is the standard. It means we can't walk around talking to people any kind of way. It means we can't treat people any kind of way. Holiness means that we act like God would want us to act. The standard, the requirement is not your grandmama, it's not your pastor, it's not your bishop, it is Jesus Christ. That is the standard. And we have to do it his way. Mm -hmm. Be holy, for I am holy. over to 2 Peter 3, verse number 11. Second Peter 3. Y'all are already at, oh, y'all are at 1 Peter. 2 Peter 3, verse number 11. When you get a chance on your own, read, read 1 and 2 Peter. There's some nuts and bolts, okay? 2 Peter 3, verse number 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. I'll read it. I'll read it one more time. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. I can't be ruled by my passions and my desires. I can't be ruled by my flesh. I have to live holy can't do what I want to when I want to do it. I have to live a holy and godly life. I, I, can't, I can't just, I can't say yes to everything and think that God is pleased. I have to live a holy and godly life. And can I be real with you? Living a holy and godly life ain't easy sometimes. 
by nature, I already taught this, I am anti-God. I want to do what I want to do. And God is saying, no, you ought to live a holy and godly life. There's no other way. That's the standard for the believer. That's the standard. Not coming to church, because I've seen people come to church and probably can bust hell wide open. God is saying, live holy and godly lives. Okay? Um, write this down. I'm, I'm just going to give this to you. Um, so how do you pursue sanctification? How do you pursue sanctification? I'm not going to go through uh, every scripture. I'm just going to give you these points, and we're done. Number one, let the word become important in your life. How do you pursue sanctification? Number one, let the word become important in your life. When we meditate in God's word, the truth of God's word has its own inherent power to prevent sin. You want to shut down sin? Get the word on it. What does the word say about my sin? What does the word say about what I'm doing? And I meditate on that thing. And after a while, the word that is living and is powerful it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a piercing in me to the soul, the asunder of the soul and the spirit. It will come in and cut up some things that ain't supposed to be out there, and it will cut it out my life. But if we don't take the time to figure out what the words say about our sin, we will remain in it. You get that? Okay. Got a whole bunch of scriptures about that. I'm going to keep going. Number two, reckon that you are dead to sin and self. You must reckon that you are dead to sin and self. Romans 6 and 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You got to reckon yourself. You got to realize that who you, were, who you are and who you were died with Christ on the cross. And you have to reckon yourself. This is a positional truth, and it's important that we continually reckon, reckon ourselves to, that we're dead to self. So when I want to go to gossip, I need to tell myself, you know I'm dead to that. When I want to go to do something that I know does not please God, I need to remind myself, reckon, I need to remind myself I'm dead to that. Number three, you got to yield your body to God. Your whole body. All your parts and members. Your person. Yield your body to God. Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a what? Living sacrifice. What does it say? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Watch this. The body is not the entire man, but it is the vehicle of the human spirit and the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies belong to God by twofold right. His right by creation, because he made us, and by redemption. So because he made us and he redeemed us, he owns us. We used to sing a song in the old church that says, my body belongs to God. My whole body. I'm so sick of these ants. My whole body. They coming to spray tomorrow, right? Yeah, tomorrow. I'm so tired of it. Last week it hit me on my head. Did y'all see it? I tried to play it off like I couldn't see it. Okay? You have to reckon your, you have to make sure that your, you yield your body to God. You cannot use your body as an instrument of destruction. You cannot use your body as an instrument of sin. Your body has to be yielded to God, any parts of your body. That's not always a, a sexual thing either. 
Sometimes you need to give your mouth to God. Jesus. You need to get them eyes that roll to God. Number four, surrender your will. Surrender your will. If you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation, you must be led by the Spirit. No longer led by your flesh, but led by the Spirit. That's how God guides us. How does he guide us if we're going to be led by the Spirit? I want, you, I want to be clear about this. How does God guide you if you're led by the Spirit? You know how? It will always be backed up by the Word of God. God will never ask you to do something that ain't in his word. Well, well um, you know, they married, but the Lord telling me that's, that's my wife. Touch your neighbor and say, that ain't the word. I give, but um, I'm going to give it to this, this uh, nonprofit organization, this charity, and set it to the church. Look at your neighbor and say, that ain't the word. Stop fixing your will to fit what you see. 